Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do it live on a Tuesday edition of CBD. I am merely Bo Bishop. He is the Z, which stands for Zagora. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, Bo. How are you doing? You know, um, as a little uh, COVID-19 update for you, um, I, I had told you how we were. Wa- I was watching the Star Wars for the first time through with the boys. Yes. Uh-huh. And so we yes. got through the original three, and I, I, I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, but I was able to watch. I've able to watch them. Probably like Empire was probably only the second time I've watched it start to finish spectacular and i think i may have mentioned this we watched phantom menace last night um and jar jar i haven't seen it since in the theater jar jar banks made no sense then it makes no sense now it was it it is one of the most astonishing decisions in in an incredible film catalog history i I just don't understand the choice in any way shape or form sir so that's what i did last night the only thing that I can say about Jar Jar is that I believe he was made for the kids. It was supposed to be they wanted to capitalize because, you know, Return of the Jedi was actually the last movie that was put out before Jar Jar. Yeah. And so I think they were trying to capitalize on the popularity of the Ewoks and they wanted to have something again in it for the kids. Uh, and wow. and so I think that's why I did total huge, huge miss. Huge, Man. huge whiff of epic proportions, completely unnecessary to the to the plot, unnecessary in every single way, um, and he's a, a, an absolute disaster. The number, the first movie is good for the pod races. I think the pod races are pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good scene. The second movie is kind of. Eh. The third one is good when when he starts to become Darth Vader. That that's there's some pretty good stuff in there. But other the, okay, the first two are are pretty much trash. Yeah, and that's coming from a Star Wars guy. Yeah, it's pretty r- remarkable that that is the decision that was made. Um, and again, I hadn't seen. I saw it in the theater when I was in college. I hadn't seen it since. I no, I couldn't really remember the plotting much at all. Um, but to watch it again without uh, with with the boys, and to be honest, they weren't that interested in the Binks guy either. Like no, they weren't. It was they, a- it, it, all the Misa, all this nonsense. I mean, it just was really poor. It was really poor, but that is secondary, and we we got a lot of football to discuss. You go over the offensive line. We got some big today's mock draft day. Everybody's mocking drafts, so we'll get oh, to those. Oh, there's mocks. Um, you love a mock. Uh, yeah. I have a feeling we'll yeah. take a tackle at ten. Is what just a spoiler for the kids. A little bit of a spoiler if you pay attention yep. to the scores. My guessing is the mocks have us taking a tackle at ten. Uh, but you uh, also watched something last night. Um, I did. And you were tech. We were texting about this. So if you can tell the people. Um, as you've now you've now finished Tiger Guy, I have finished Tiger King. As a matter of fact, yes, I think last Guy. Night. <laughs> I think Guy. I don't know if he's a king. <laughs> I'm not sure he's the best. So, guy. you know, I the first three episodes, I stand by Great. my original premise, are mm-hmm. just riveting, fascinating, yep. interesting television, fun and fun, even fun, fun television. Yep. I would say, um, unfortunately, as you Oof. are well aware, the the final four episodes not as fun. Not mm-hmm. as fun at all, and in fact, a little bit dark. My, am I happy that I watched it, though? Absolutely. Do I hope that it does some good in this world? I sure do. I hope that it, somehow Carol Baskin gets hers someday. I want this Jeff Lowe character to get his someday. I think uh-huh. he is an absolute crud. I think the notion that anybody would believe that the Tiger King alone tried to set something up on Carol Baskin using that guy who 
multiple times talked about how much he can't stand him before, after, during the whole thing. We're supposed to believe that guy's going to take $3,000 to go whack somebody. Give me yeah. a break. I, I can't believe that he was convicted of that in a court of law in this country and that those guys get to just walk free. I don't understand Agreed. how that happens. I find it repugnant. I find it a waste of our, our resources as a nation. Yeah. And I was yeah. disgusted by it. Is Joe Exotic a good guy? No. Is Joe Exotic a criminal? Sure. Yeah, probably yep. in a lot of ways. Did Joe <laughs> Exotic, should he be in jail for all this time for uh, attempting you know, to uh, murder for hire plot? No, he should not. And if yep. he is, then those other two guys should be in there as well. I will say, however, despite all of this, and I believe, look, I, Carol, Carol's clearly the only one here that's got any kind of brains and her husband, yes. even though I can't stand either one of them. I think they're awful yep. people, terrible people. Yep. They have the means, clearly. That's why they could fight all these battles in court. They had the means to arrange all of this. Now, do I think that they're the ones who brought Jeff Lowe in? Because remember, Jeff Lowe's a con man. Jeff Lowe doesn't yep. actually have money. So how's Jeff Lowe getting all these mansions? Yep. Mm-hmm. How's Jeff Lowe getting Ferraris? Is it because he's yep. backed by Carol Baskin? I don't know. Wouldn't be that crazy yep. to me. And by the way, the, my new favorite, and the only reason I'm happy I stayed through all seven episodes is so that I could see the scene of Fat Chucky doing his best Kenny Powers impersonation he on was the jet KP. ski. That was, was. and I, that's definitely an homage. Sure, There's no Nerd. doubt in my mind that's exactly what it was. And yep. that made it worthwhile. And the fact is, that guy ratted out everybody, and somehow he's still okay. He's not in jail either. I just don't, like, the ultimate yeah. outcome is crazy to me. Yeah, all 19 counts on Joe Exotic. Um, garbage. And there's more. You've seen the the video circulating today on Joe that paints an even more negative light on him. I, do, I the, have not. Do I need yeah. to? What? Uh, just no, it just furthers. Just, just how, it's just an absurd video where he's talking about why he can't use the N-word and all this. I mean, it's just. Um, he's, listen, he's not. This is, he's not somebody to none be None of these. They're all bad people. All They're bad all bad people. people. But I feel like too many bad people have gotten away free and everything just fell on Joe Exotic. Yes. Which I I find to be outrageous. Yeah. I could not believe that they I could not believe the hitman got off scot free. I mean, like that blew my mind more more than anything. Like you pick him up on a murder for hire and he doesn't he's fine. And people believe that Joe Exotic's the one who hired him? I mean, that's the guy yeah. hates him. He says, I can't stand him. Right. They didn't get along for one second. He said, I don't work for you. I don't report to you. I do nothing for yeah. you. I'm all about this Jeff Lowe guy. Jeff Lowe's And the I one would do it for three grand? The Google Earth and, and saying, here's where you're going to take him out, take her out and all this, that. And it all comes down on yeah. Joe Exotic? Even after yeah. Chucky goes in and testifies? Like, that's yeah. what blew my mind. And that that's what hurt me obviously the animal stuff terrible don't like oh, to see awful. any of that carol baskin yeah. i mean she fed her husband to the tigers uh, i don't allegedly i don't know z can you recall anything that started out more what appeared to be more frivolous and fun and absurd Flip, and ended and so free. dark no yeah, no and neither. if i could if i could i blocked it out of my mind i mean you Same. could make a case yeah, right. you could make a case that there were periods of of eastbound and down where that that reached this level of darkness. Yeah, there was some satire in that that were that ended up getting pretty dark with Stevie and stuff. Certainly, yeah. but that's a fictional thing. Like the idea. I mean, <laughs> this is this real. was. <laughs> this it's is not real. real. Stevie's not a Steve Jan- Stevie Janowski's not a real person. Well, we um, had a Stevie. He was real. Yeah, we did have a Stevie. We miss him uh, we a do. great deal. Um, all right, let's get into the OBM hot topic. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it. That, so that was interesting because Friday when we had the conversation, at that point you had only seen three episodes, yeah. and I had seen I think five or six at that point. So I knew what was coming. Yeah. And I, 
I don't know if I could recommend it or not. Like, I don't know I if it was a good use it. of my time. I don't well, know if it was I mean, good it, use. in this environment, <laughs> right? Time uh, takes a different value. Right. We've got we've got some time, and it's definitely worth it because three episodes are pure joy. If you want to pull the plug after three episodes, I basically just that's what I would do. I just told you everything. Listen to the opening of the show. That's what yeah. That's what goes down. Yeah. But it do it that way. Watch it the first three episodes. Watch the first three episodes, laugh at the absurdity, and go to, and call it a day. I, that'd yeah. be my recommendation. Um, OBM Hot Topics, Ohio Business Machine, preferred copy provider, Cleveland Browns, follow the X's nose for your office. Call 216-485-2000. Visit OhioBusinessMachines.com. Um, we get one piece of good sports news in the in the world today, The Last Dance on ESPN, the Michael Jordan doc. Ooh. It's a 10-parter, isn't it? A 10 hours? 10-parter, um, yep. Sunday, April 19th will be the debut on that, so they moved that way up. Um, so you get a look at that. The, Jordan's going to participate. He doesn't participate in many of this stuff, Z, but what my hope is is that you get a candid Michael Jordan about why he stepped away those two years. That's what I want to know. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating, and it's one everybody's been looking forward to. Everybody is celebrating the fact that it is moving up. I can't wait to see it. So it's it, correct me if I'm wrong. It's about the season, the quest for the sixth title. Is that what it's about? I don't know. I don't know if it's that or if it's for the 72 win, like when he came back. I, my thinking would be that it would be of the last three-peat would be my guess. Like there, Or maybe it's the last season when they're – it might just be – I can't imagine 10 hours on just the last season, though. I think it's kind of like a documentary that season. I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, who cares? Michael okay. Jordan, I'm in. That was my guy. That was my guy as a youth. He and Rex Chapman were alone mm-hmm. in the pantheon of great hoops <laughs> legends. And uh, so – I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. I yeah, don't, you, yeah you it's really going to be think, fun. Has he gone on record saying he's going to discuss the leaving, or are you speculating? That you'd I just like hope to see that's that? something I haven't heard him discuss. You know, you really don't hear him talk about anything. But um, no. if if that's not involved, then the only other thing that's going to be interesting or new, because I, I was alive to remember that. Obviously, I was a formative age where I knew I watched that season and remember it. Um, but the only thing that would be new and would be able to expand upon is just this idea of he didn't want to retire. And the Bulls basically said, look, it's time for you. I mean, which is an amazing thing. My perception of it looking back was that the Bulls basically said, "It's you got to go. Like, we're ready to turn this team over to Tony Kukoc. We're moving off of Phil Jackson, which is Jerry uh, Krause's team now. That that seems – that's the way I remember it. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's in my mind's eye the way I remember it. You're talking about when he goes to play baseball? That's how you – No, 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 no. I'm talking after the second three-peat. Oh, okay. When he goes to end up going to the Wiz. Um, well, but he takes a couple of years off with the Wiz. Like, it's not like he went right to the Wiz. So he had two – see, I don't remember this. That's why it'll be good to watch it. I don't remember – he had two hiatuses of over a year from the NBA? Yeah. One when he went and played baseball, which is where I yeah. feel like the league kicked him out for gambling. And right. Able to come but back. at the time, like, it was right after his father's death. Correct. Um, and, and so there was that. And then he stopped playing at age 34 the last year they won it. He played 28 games – or he played 82 games. He averaged 29 a game. He retired. They won the championship, and then he didn't play in at thirty five, thirty six, or thirty seven. Say he took he three came, years off, and then three came off, back in two thousand one. And then came back with Washington. Yeah, that's right. Came back wow. with Washington at age thirty eight. He took three years off, and the the one thing that has always been kind of hinted about is that he that he didn't really want to retire, and the Bulls were kind of like, "Look, it's time for you to move on. We're moving off of Phil. This is it. Your last shot at it, and we're moving on." And that was kind of. Uh, that's the way I remember it in my mind's eye. I'm curious to see how they how they deal with that in this because that would be interesting to me. And the documentary, wow. guys, is focused pretty much on the 97-98 season. They have unseen right. footage, and they've, they've, they've talked to over 100 people 
for this with either on the team personalities. Like I know I saw the the clip of them on the plane and everything, but it is going to be a focus on him winning the, the sixth championship in the last. Right. Okay. So he goes from that, and in that playoff run, by the way, he averages 32.4 points per Mm -hmm. game, shoots 47% from the floor. That's right. And they're going to tell him that he's no longer welcome with the Bulls? That's the way I remember it, is that it was kind of like, okay, we're done with this group. We're done winning championships? We want to turn the team over to Tony Kukoc. I think Pippen was going to be a free agent. Um, so I think they traded Scotty Pippen after this year as well to, to, uh, to Portland, I think. Um, so all of these things are kind of happening around the same time. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be that I will be very interested in, in terms of like, just if they are able to get Reinsdorf to just say why and Reinsdorf and Kraus to just say, why did you get, why, what in the heck were you guys thinking? Um, yeah, so Pippen, pretty sure Pippen was traded right after this season. He was, so it was a lockout, was. shortened yeah. season, and he actually got traded to the Rockets, to the Rockets. and then Rockets went to the first. Trailblazers, but yeah, he was traded right after them. Yeah, so Man. he went to the Rockets to try to play with Akeem and Chuck yeah. you know, on, on that team, and then eventually gets to Portland, and, and that's the way that it goes. But I mean, Pippen was still really good on those Portland teams. I mean, they could have they could have easily, that was the other factor in it, Matty, you're right, now that, now that I remember, it was also the lockout, uh, was that the next year. Um, so there was that part of it, which honestly would have made it even easier for them to repeat because they wouldn't have had, they were getting older. They would have had a short season. They could have easily won four in a row. That was the year the Spurs beat the Knicks, right? The Knicks got to the finals as like an eight seed with Larry Johnson, Allen Houston. I'm pretty sure. I think that's the way that went. So that's, I mean, think about that, how absurd that was. So if that's in there, then I think that's pretty dang interesting. I do. That um, yes, yes. That's that's what yeah. it needs to be. Excellent memory, be by big, the way, Bo. Yeah, tremendous. Memory. Do I have that right? You I mean, I'm correct. just spitballing, but no, that's the way correct. I remember it. No, I and they only made the playoffs right. by one game. The Knicks made the playoffs the by Knicks. one game and then made it to the finals. Right, right. And they beat the Heat. Were the one with Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway? I think they you beat are the very Heat good with that. Now, technically, yeah. one, two, and three all tied with the same record. You guys want to guess the other two teams? I would say the Pacers. Pacers. Correct. Uh, what year is this? Boy, this is eight. Third. This is ninety-nine. Nets? Technically, was the playoff maybe the Nets? It was not the Nets. Okay, I don't know then. The Orlando Magic. Ooh. The Heat, Pacers, oh, like and Magic a, all finished thirty-three and seventeen. Like a Penny Hardaway-led Magic with Chuck Daly probably as the coach, something like that would be my guess because Shaq would have been gone at that point. Yeah, would have had to have been. Um. Wild, wild times, Uh, wild times. What's that? Is Dennis Scott there? I don't know if he was still there or not. It also could have been. No, I don't think so. I think it would have been Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway had an incredible season with Chuck Daly. Penny Hardaway, Nick Anderson. Yeah. Horace Grant. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. Bo Outlaw, Miles Simon, Dominique Wilkins, an old Dominique Wilkins, and Gerald Wilkins. I don't remember they even played on the same team. Daryl Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Penny Dolek. had a monster. That was right Penny. before the knee got bad. I I mean, they must have played good D. Their leading scores were Penny at 16, Nick Anderson 15, Daryl Armstrong 14. Nobody else in double digits. Ho Grant had a 9 and 8 to be. That, a, well, a that was force. the era, though, you'll remember, in the league where, like, 
the finals, like some of those finals would be like 81-72. Yeah, some ugly Knicks team. That's, <laughs> that's the way that it went. Lots of football on the program today. we got a bunch of mock drafts we got to throw your way. Going to have some fun with that. We're going to do a deep dive on the offensive line situation uh, coming out of free agency. Coming up next, we go around the league. And I want one thing we talked about a little bit yesterday, but I wanted to run something else by you on that in terms of trying to play the league in a sterile environment the entire league. We'll get to that coming up next, off and running on a Tuesday, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, time to go around the league. Brought to you by Jack. Lots to get to as we go around the league. A couple of free agency news. TJ Carey to the Colts. Uh, Our old buddy is headed to the Colts. And then the Bengals releasing Drake Patrick as well. Um... The um, after after eight years there, a kid who was a first round pick, and a lot of thought people thought would be a superstar, was a very solid player for them. But now he reads the open market as well. So there's a little bit of movement in the corner market. Z, there is, and it's you know it's honestly not that surprising in terms of the release in Cincinnati because when you look at at what the Bengals have done this free agency period, they've really attacked their secondary. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's something they wanted to remake. And I'm telling you, I think they're a pretty good football team, to be perfectly honest. I don't think – I think this is going to be a very, very tough division. But the Bengals went out, and here's who they've added. Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, Von Bell, three guys to that secondary. When you add Trey Waynes, especially at three years, $42 million, uh, you bring in Mackenzie Alexander, he's going to play the slot, which is where Drake Kirkpatrick was playing. Um then you're you're saying somebody's got to go from from our other cornerback uh, room. So that's why the decision was made with Drake or Patrick. He's going to be somebody that can offer value, certainly still a starter in this league. Um, but they decided to move on, get a little younger with Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think that clearly is the way that it goes. I'm with you on, on how good they could be, especially if, if Burrow's as good as everybody thinks he's going to be right away in year one. Um, they're a frightening team. This division is just an absolute monster. It, it really is. And um, it's it's something where it's going to be a lunch pail every day and pack a lunch because it's going to yeah. be absolutely difficult. We were um, we touched on something yesterday, the pro football talk story um, about the idea of playing games in isolation. And I was thinking about that after we were done yesterday because the fact that it's being talked about tells you that it's being talked about and being considered as a reality and and what that would look like. And I was reminded of you last year. I didn't make the trip to Indy, but the the place you were at in Indy with the stadiums. Yep. Would that not be a logical place to do this? Um, I mean, because you could quarantine. They have enough hotels. You're basically going to need – you know, it's talking about 32 teams. If you figure 100 people per team, you're looking at 3,200 hotel rooms. Um, is that is India a place where this could happen? Yeah, I'm not sure. And and Gibe, uh, who I can, I, I would, I wish I could channel his voice into my mind right now. Might remember better than I, but I believe yes because they built the fields. There are certainly enough fields to play 16 games. Uh, there are hotels all around it. It really is. It's a place for tournaments where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come and descend. So I do think that they would have the capacity uh, to house, let's call it, you know, five thousand people. I think that they would have the capacity to house 5,000 people. I think they'd have the capacity from a field standpoint. It would all be outdoors. It would all be grass, obviously. Uh, I do yeah. think that they could do that. Um, there are You're close enough to civilization that if you, you needed to go get restaurants and food and all of that. Like I don't know if they have 
for example, the catering capability. I don't know about that kind of stuff. You know what I sure. mean? Because there's going to be yeah. a huge logistical, if we're in a period where you truly are on lockdown, even into September, then, you know, your food's going to have to be brought in. They're going to have to be chefs on site that can provide that. Are there enough kitchens? Are there, you know, all of that? I'm, I'm guessing yes, because it's, it was built when we talked with the mayor of that town to be a self-contained unit that was supposed to, you know, be able to house these huge tournaments from all around the country. So, it seems to me that it would be a logical place. The Greenbrier also makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if they would be able to play. You know, if you really could, the whole league go there to the Greenbrier. I would yeah. think so. It's a it's a massive hotel, and I mean, when you okay. think about that, and you think about the sporting club, and you think about there's hotels, other hotels in town. I mean, you could take over that that town for the NFL's purposes. Uh, I, th- I believe it would be big enough. My question is, how are you are you going to be able to? And I correct it. I believe some of those fields out there in Indy were turf, field turf on grass. I don't think it was actually all grass because I would be concerned about if you're playing in the same place for practice, for games, for all of that every week. How are they going to have these fields be in any kind of shape? I don't know. Man, how I don't do you... know. It, it was the first place I thought of because, um, and I know they've got uh, they've got one up in Sandusky too that's got multiple youth, you know, where they play these huge tournaments. It's a brand new thing that Cedar Point put on that that, that they were working on. But and I wasn't in at Indy last year in camp, and I know that you guys were, and and I just remember you guys saying it was just field after field after field oh, after yeah. field. And and my thinking is is that would have to be the type of place that it would be. Um, and then the fact that it's at Indy, Indy would definitely have 3,200 hotel rooms. Um, I just looked up Greenbrier. Greenbrier's got about 710 hotel rooms. Okay. Um, and I, you, you really need more like – I think you're probably right. Well, you know, it would be skeleton crew, though. So I think if you figure 100, 100 per team, that's 3,200. Um, you know, and then if, how many – you're going to need an announcing team for every game – Officials. You know, through the two days, my guess is you'd play games Saturday and Sunday as opposed to yep, just Sunday. I don't know why you yep. wouldn't. Um, you know, from a from a TV perspective, it wouldn't be much. Uh, it would be pretty easy to do because you could probably go all twenty two. You wouldn't have to have you know the high camera angles because there's no stands, so you could go all twenty two on everything and have a tight shot. You would. I would think that the logistics of that would certainly be feasible. I think that Indy yeah. from that standpoint, now Greenbrier also has a bunch of cabins. For example, sure. they have the cabins, they have the hotel, there are hotels around there. You would have to probably tap into the sporting club. There are residences, massive residences. You'd have to tap into everything, right? So yeah. I think it would be feasible. I don't know if they have enough fields. Though. I thought they said they had seven football fields. This place in Indy definitely has a combination of field and field turf, which would be good, especially because in weather, you couldn't tear up one of these fields in a big rainy game. Shred it. You'd shred it, and then you wouldn't be able to get it back. It would never have any rest. It, it's it's a it's something that you hope you don't have to do. You almost feel like you would be better off if there was you know each team is in its own isolation. Being able to travel and play in empty stadiums would seemingly be a better solution than than that, where everybody's in one spot. Because the other concern is if it gets into one person when everybody's in the same spot. That's yeah. good night, Irene. Yeah, you'd also have to from a if you did this. I agree with you. It's it's kind of a nuclear option. I guess it's an option the Premier League's thinking about. The other thing from an NFL perspective, it, if you go to what you're suggesting, which I think logistically makes the most sense, keeping everybody at their facilities and then flying them, you would almost have to have guys stay um, like camp style. They don't have to stay in hotels. 
Yep. You'd have and you'd have to probably have to have your your flight crew with you at all times yeah. so that they're, you know, following the same protocol so that you're never introducing anybody or anything new into your environment. Yeah. I you just know this, you just know this that that and the NFL is is beneficial benefits greatly from this. They have they have a lot of time to sort this out. They have the most complicated circumstance in that they have the second most amount of people who are involved next to college football. Um, they have the second most people who are involved in a game day process in our country. But they have a long time to work on it, and it is. I I would think that it would be that you would think you would think of every possible option to keep that television model there. A because it's a, you have to deliver a product to networks based on the deals you've made. B you're going to be negotiating a new television deal soon. C the country would love it and yes. would need it yes. and it would be spectacular. So even if we couldn't go to games as as humans in September, which I I don't again, I don't really want to consider this, but the fact they're talking at it means it's something we ought to talk about um that they will do everything in their power to try to play games on television in the fall. I th- I think they will if there is a way they will find it and again science is our is our friend here what we need is science yeah. to to come through and and provide the solution to this you know not just for us for everybody around the world that's experiencing it and I think that is that's where we're at that's what we need to have happen I think that the NFL has enough time to go through the logistics of what it would take to get everybody into a 14-day quarantine then you can't admit any people in you mentioned the broadcast crews I mean I could envision a scenario where if they do this the broadcast crews don't need to be there you could everybody broadcasting from a broadcast center and watch the games and call the game over the TV but you don't necessarily have to be on site for it um, no question. You could do that with yep. radio. You, I could my sideline, all of that stuff. So it could all be done, you know, remotely. Um, it, it's people. I don't think people would care about that. I think people, the production values would not be expected to be at the level that they were in a normal scenario. People just would want to see football and sports they've never seen. And obviously, the NFL, if they're able to get these games and do it in a way that's safe for these players and the medical staffs and everybody that's involved, then I think you're you, you're going to find a solution. You're going to find a way. And I believe that. You've got enough lead time, I mean, which is going to yeah. be April 1st tomorrow, where, you know, April, May, June, July, August, September. We're six months out from when, you know, we should be going, or, or five months, five full months, April, May, June, July, August, five full months and a week or so, you know. So you're talking 160 days yeah. to, to get this figured out on a global scale to get this figured out on a logistical scale for the NFL. Um, and, and, you know, maybe this is a year where they decide, look, we'll push it. We can push things back. No preseason. There are a lot of things that can be done with the focus on making sure we get the actual games played and, and get it done in a safe way. And I, I have to imagine, you know, just thinking about how the advances have come in the test just from, you know, yeah. in the month of March, that we're going to be closer and closer every day, every minute that goes by to figuring out a vaccine for this. And then, you know, hopefully being able to eradicate it from, from our plan and our, and our consciousness for uh, the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. The conversations are taking place in the NFL uh, at this point, teams like us have been hit in the, in, or will be hit in the fact that we won't have, you know, some of the OTA stuff for install for uh, coach Stefanski, the new coaches teams have been hit. But, but other than that, from a revenue standpoint, the NFL hasn't been hit yet. hasn't had to deal with this. Um, really the draft, I don't know what the NFL, how much the NFL profits on the draft. They, my guess is a the majority of it's the TV yeah. uh, and those are going to continue. Right. So there's no real, 
there's no real NFL benefit to them not throwing a draft in Vegas. Vegas loses, but the NFL won't. Um, and it, so they've got a long time to sort this thing out. Um, and but the fact that the conversations are taking place uh, tells you kind of where we're at with this thing and, and just the uncertainty of it. And you got to be ready for everything. Um, coming up next, mock draft mania. Boy, we got a lot of them. Uh, McShay with one. Maurice Jones drew mocking drafts. Uh, we will mock away. Coming up next, listen to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. <laughs> You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Security benefits have been denied. Call the Disability Lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Go Browns. Before we get to the mock draft mania for today, have you seen this, this tweet from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that says, coming soon, and it's Tom Brady dropping back the pass, and then they edit it, edit the ball flight, throwing to their players, which is very clearly Jameis Winston's ball flight? No. Ooh, here it's it is. cold-blooded. Let's see. It's so cold-blooded. Man. Do you see it? Yeah. I was going to say, the ball doesn't come out of Tom's hand like that on those bombs. No. Interesting. No. Isn't that cold? It's a cool video, but, I mean, it's a bit cold-blooded. Yeah, but, I mean, that's what you got to do. He's on the team now. You got you want to integrate yeah. him in with your guys. That's, all, that's really all you can do. Speaking of seeing things that are interesting, what did you think of? Have you seen the Browns draft hat that's been going around? There's two, right? There's one that says that's got like the helmet that says uh, "Dog Pound," right? Is that do I see that one? And then the other one has uh, brownie on it. Brownie, yeah, I like the one with the brownie. Is pretty solid, I think. Yeah, I mean, I it's all um, it's the colors that, are a little unique. The but, Vegas, the yeah. Vegas motif with like the neon, the neon is the idea. Uh-huh. Is that probably what the plan is? Yes. Yeah, yeah I think it would so look next year when it's a, in Cle- a quarter zip though. Oh, it would look great on a quarter zip. I mean, the brownie's always going to look solid on a quarter zip. I don't even know if I'll have to wear a quarter zip again as long as broadcasting from home. I'm in, you know, T-shirts and shorts 90% of the time now. By the way, did you see that that Brown Therapy got Gibby's head on on Chucky from Joe <laughs> on his on the uh, Jets game, which is spectacular. I did. Yeah, I think this hat's pretty nice. I mean, I think the neon is it part a black? of it makes – It looks brown, and I think you're in a dark brown, which – makes the face love. of the elf look a little odd if I'm being generous about it. But I think mm-hmm. that from a logo standpoint, it still is the elf is brownie spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I, I think it's cool. If it, if that, if that hat is a, is a dark musket Brown, yeah, that's then I, I think that's a win. A deep chocolate. Yeah. I can't tell if it's black or Brown. I really have a hard time seeing it. You're right. It does do some weird things with the face of the elf. The neon thing does a little bit of strange with it, with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's good, though. And, you know, we've seen the elf has been here and there every once in a while, and so, it's you know, he's back a little bit here. The who's back of the week, Brownie the Elf, that's who. <laughs> you want to hear an incredible stat where this is concerned? Um, this just I just saw this a couple of seconds ago. Uh, I want to make sure I have it. Uh, TSA, this according to NBC News, TSA checked less than 200,000 passengers yesterday. It's the lowest in 10 years. Um, 154,000 passengers went through checkpoint screening yesterday. Same date last year, 2.3 million. 
A week ago, it was 330,000. I'm actually more surprised that there were still 150,000 people flying. Same. Same. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people must. I guess. I, I. It seems to me that flying defies the stay-at-home order. Yes. <laughs> would agree. Would agree with you that it does. What do I know? Well, he went to Emory, went to private school. This is um, mock draft madness because Steve Palazzolo did his today, too. He had a new one today on PFF. We got McShay. We've got Maurice Jones-Drew right now. So all I have heard all morning is how nuts the Maurice Jones-Drew mock draft is. It's all I've heard. I have not seen it. I haven't seen it till right now. I purposely did not want to have any prepare to prepare for this in any way other than just see it live here on CBD. So let's take a look at this thing and see what MJD did here with the draft. Okay, right out of, right right out out of the, the gate, gates. my friend. <laughs> he throws a Hail Mary uh, with a Justin Herbert uh, number one to the Bengals, um, what, which would be an astonishing play. Um, a more astonishing play happens at number two because if Herbert goes number one to the Bengals, uh, Jones-Drew has Tua Tungavailoa going number two to the Chargers. The Chargers trading up to the Redskins to get Tua, not Joe Burrow, Tua. Chase Young three, Derek Brown four, Burrow five to the Dolphins, Dosuno six to the Redskins on a trade back, Akuta seven to the Jaguars, Jedrick Wills eight to the Cards, Javon Kinlaw nine to the Panthers, and Tristan Wirfs to us at ten. So even though it is bonkers at the top, a tackle to us at ten remains the same. Yes. Yeah, so, by the way, he misses a huge opportunity doing? here. The reason that you would say the Bengals take Herbert is because this wacky draft offseason, they got to work with him at the Senior Bowl. He's the only quarterback they've really gotten their hands on. They understand his thought process, his work yeah. ethic. They loved, They fell in love with the kid at the Senior Bowl, and they're going with Justin Herbert because of this strange draft, and that's what they're doing. So there's that. Two of them at two. In fact, Joe Burrow goes is the third quarterback taken. I would put away. I'd be put plenty on that. That that will not ultimately be the case on draft day. Right. I also don't think that the Lions would. First of all, I think the Lions, if they are at three with Chase Young on the board, are just going to stay there and take him. Yep. If they pick at four, I think they're going to take Akuda or Isaiah Simmons, not Derek Brown. I could yep. be wrong. Um, but the Browns look. The fun thing about this, you can have boring mock drafts, you can have wild mock drafts, you can have completely off-the-wall insane mock drafts, and guess what they all have in common? The Browns take a tackle at 10. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, McShay does a two-round mock that I – if I could get this for us right now, sign me up. Same. Do nothing else. Same. Just give me this draft – and, and it, it's more conventional at the top. Burrow, Young, Akuda to the teams that are placed there. Simmons, four to the Giants. Tua to the Dolphins at five. Chargers, he goes with Love. But I think doesn't him and Kuiper have a uh, bet on Love versus Herbert or something like that? I think, I think they, they do. do. They do. So I think that's what that's about. Yep. Uh, Love going six. Then Derek Brown, seven. Then Wirfs. Then Herbert. Herbert to the Jaguars is the only one I take umbrage with from uh McShay's standpoint I don't think there's any chance they'll they're taking a quarterback at number no nine way. zero chance they don't want they have Minshew no. who they love the fans love him they're tanking yep. for Trevor yep there's just no way they would take Herbert at nine I and then Jedrick that. Wills uh to us at 10 and then Z what I would what I would really be excited about is the second round um a player by the name of Grant Delpit falling to us at 41 um there were some who weren't crazy about his season a year ago really similar to what happened to Greedy uh where people were worried about his tackling and so forth Grant Delpit is a player he is a player if you were to get him at 41 sign me up 
I, I agree. I think if, if it would have been at the start of this season, I believe he probably uh, would have been a first-round pick and probably the first yep. safety off the board. And, yeah, he was slowed yep. by injury this year, according to him, so he didn't play his best. But I still think if you were able to get Grant Delpit at 41, you've got your free safety for the future locked up. And then you feel great about your safety room. You've got Delpit and Carl Joseph. You've got Sendejo, and you've got um, – our boy Sheldrick Redwine, and I think you all of a sudden you have depth. You have guys who can play in the future. I mean, you could end up getting to a point where you want to play two more, two free safety look, and you can have Delpit with Sheldrick or Sendejo when you want to go big and go three safeties. You Sendejo along with Joseph and Delpit. I mean, it gives you a ton of flexibility on the back end, and that would be a great pick. And I think if that is the way you go, you are locked in, locked in to keeping Olivier Vernon this year because you are, and then you'd have to look maybe in the third round and try to bring yourself in a defensive end. But I think you would be at that point absolutely locked into Vernon unless you're bringing in another free agent big name. And that only big name that's left really at that position is Jadavion Clowney. So if, if you can't get, and I think you'd still be keeping Vernon if you take a guy in the second round. But to me, what would, or you bring in an Everson Griffin and, and pick a guy later on. There's still the top defensive ends who are just, if people are wondering, Jadavion Clowney. Everson Griffin, who obviously has ties to this staff. Marcus Golden, former Brown, Jabal Sheard. Ziggy Ansah, who's been banged up quite a bit. Um, Aaron Lynch, who spent some time with the 49ers. Pernell McPhee, Clay Matthews. Really not anybody that you're, you're jumping up and down about as you get a little bit further down that list. But you're going to need, I think, somebody else in that defensive end room. And it either needs to come probably in the second round or maybe even into the third. Uh, and then you feel pretty good. But... If this is the way that the draft unfolds and no changes have been made by that point, I think you're, you're feeling pretty good about Olivier Vernon and Miles Garrett being your starting defensive ends headed into this season. No question about it. Gibby asks a random question. He says, if, and thank God we don't, but if the Browns were picking number one, what would you want them to do? We have a quarterback. We have a late Ed Rusher. Where would you want them to go in this draft if we had the number one pick? I would well, call Miami. It, well, I was going to say, first of all, if you're staying there and I'm taking somebody, I'm taking Chase Young because yes. now I've got Chase Young. Two good pass rushers is better than one. And then you'd have maybe the most dominant edge rushing combination in the NFL, which would be uh, devastating on opposing quarterbacks and offenses. So that would be if I stayed there. But immediately I'm calling with Miami, come get your quarterback of the future. You're giving me five. You're giving me 18 and one of those twos as well. And then all of a sudden I'm able to move down. I get Isaiah Simmons or Akuda at five. I'm able to get a stud tackle at 10. I'm able to get yeah. a, a, maybe a stud well, you wouldn't have 10. somebody. You wouldn't have 10. You'd oh, that's go. right, because we'd have one. Right, you're right. Yeah. So I would take so – then you can get your tackle at 18. You know, maybe don't get yeah. an elite tackle. You get one of the guys right after that. Maybe one does slide to you. Um, Josh Jones would be available to you most likely at 18, and I feel like you're just in a, you're in a great spot there. Or you take the tackle you want at five, and, and you deal with, you know, the depth of the draft and go into the middle of the first round. And there's going to be great receivers. There's going to be great, uh, you know, defensive backs. Um, there's going to be plenty of stuff on the table for you. But, yeah, I think yeah. You're, you're like, if you have the number one pick this year and you don't need a quarterback, you're looking to accumulate assets because you should be able to get an absolute haul for that number one pick. Yeah, yeah, especially with the way people view Burrow. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable. Not and Maurice again, Drew. No, I, I don't know. what there, there was The thing with Burrow that was crazy over there is everybody loved him. It's not like it was it was some portions liked him and some portions didn't. Football people didn't like him. Everybody loved him. I mean, he was the unanimous guy, like not close. So, um Look, it's it's the last week and it's the last day in March. Like you got to create a little little something if you can. And MJD did that with this. Um, all right, coming up next, a oh my gosh, we're at we're gonna do B, we're we're stealing BPA's ideas. That's where we're at. 
here on this program? Stealing the BPA's <laughs> ideas? I don't even know what to say Sad. about that. We're Sad. not stealing anything. This is this is a double dip right here from the BPA. <laughs> we'll do it. Well, we'll do it better then. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. This week on the best podcast available. Did this episode drop? See, you're involved again. I know this is you're one of the three amigos on this, a permanent co-host of this show and a contributor along with a writer at ClevelandBrowns.com. Um, what are you uh, contributing this week, sir? <laughs> yes, I made my one appearance of the week on the BPA. We took, okay. a look, took a look at the top five running back prospects in this draft, top five defensive tackle prospects in this draft, and Gibbe had spent a lot of time watching film on the defensive tackle, so really gave a, a dynamite breakdown of, of their prowess, their skill sets, and what they're going to be able to do in the National Football oh, League. That's so exciting. there's that. We did some theoreticals, went through a few mock drafts, uh, talked about you know the latest and greatest news with the Browns, argued about Jameis Winston, and we had a, a great time. So be sure to check out the latest edition of the best podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, there you go. Uh, and this one, apparently, we are. You guys, you, did you use this in yesterday's show, or uh, this, so this is actually theft yeah. twice over? This no, this happened. This we did this last night. All right, so this the original intellectual property belongs to Michael Lombardi. Correct. Former front office executive and worked here with the Browns on his podcast. Asked the question, and now we're stealing it for a second time. Would you rather have Jared Goff at thirty-five million for five years, Cam Newton on a one-year deal? Or Jameis Winston on a look-and-see deal? I don't think it's – for me, this would be pretty simple. You? It's pretty simple for me, but I have two answers, so maybe it's not as simple. If I am the well, Chicago – if I'm the Chicago Bears or I am the L.A. Chargers, a team that I, feels like they could contend for a Super Bowl – I'm gonna and a physical good defense. I'm gonna bring in Cam Newton on a one-year deal and try to win a Super Bowl. If I am yep. a team in in any other state that needs a quarterback, I'm taking Jameis Winston on a one-year look and see deal. Economically allows me to surround him with better players. I, I do believe I have the opportunity to get a long-term solution as, as a starting quarterback, uh, and so that that's the direction that I would go. Goff is thirty-five million per. That's what it, that's what it says here. I don't let me look. That wow. up. I don't know if that's right, but is that what we're, what's your answer? You have it right. Yeah, it's it's anything other than originally when I read it, I thought it was Goff at 35 million total over for five years. So seven million a year is no. the way that I originally read it. But it's not that it's 35 million a year over the five years, which is astonishing number. Um, yeah, you. I think you have it right. I think if you're that's why to me, like if. If I were the the Bears were the perfect team for Cam, um, that that that's the team. You know, you put a healthy Cam Newton on that team and look out. First of all, it's a perfect fit from a uh, from just a style of the team standpoint. Um, I think it would be it would be a schematic. You could make the schematics work, and he would just look cool in that in that uniform. That'd be a, that'd be a win. He'd make them if he's healthy. That would be they would be quite formidable. The the one team like the. The team I can't really wrap my head around on this front, 
um, is the Chargers. Unless they just love Herbert, which maybe they do. Maybe they just love Herbert. But the idea that the Chargers are going to go into that stadium and uh, they're going to launch these brand-new uniforms, which is going to be spectacular, going back to the Powder Blues, that's a huge win. Everyone will be excited about that, but no one's really going to care. Not enough to go to the games. And the fact that they're going to go into that stadium where they're already like eighth fiddle to the Rams and pay rent to the Rams, that all of that's going to happen, and they're going to go in there with Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, that's hard for me to wrap my head around. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't understand. You know, it's just about are they enamored with him and they think Herbert's their quarterback of the future and, and they believe that the future is going to start now. The best way to go is to get him on the field and have him play, which seems to be the trend, obviously, in the National Football League with these rookie quarterbacks. If you draft them early in the first round, they're going to play. And they, I feel Chicago's the one that completely it blows my mind. And to yeah. the Chargers' point, like you said, Cam Newton is going to be the biggest headline grabber they can get. He's going to put butts into the seats. Uh, and that's something you would think that they would be interested in. But they obviously feel Herbert is their guy. That's, as I said, coming out of the combine, seemed to be one of the worst-kept secrets. Now, it could yep. be the ultimate smokescreen, uh, but it does seem to be that that's the direction the Chargers are going to go. They're content with a rookie coming in and, and getting to start and, and be that guy for them going forward. The fact that Cam Newton and Jameis Winston are, are not going to be, as of now, starters or competing for starting jobs in the National Football League when Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew and Jared Stidham and Terod Taylor are listed as starters in the NFL, and even I'd even go as far as to say, and Derek Carr. I, I mean, I think that those guys would all be better with the Raiders. I agree. But here's, you know, this is where we are. This is what's happening. The reasons for it are, I think with Cam, it's a little bit because you just can't, you don't know how healthy he is. You don't know exactly the state yeah. that he's in. But with Jameis, maybe, I, I guess, we're, maybe we're, we're putting a blind eye to those interceptions. I, I just went back the year before, the two years prior to that, he threw 25 interceptions total. Right. You can live with yeah. that. You of certainly you can, can live with that. Yeah, and you think about what Arians asked him to throw it deep. I mean, he threw it deep so much last year. Do you have – you're looking at his stats. Do you, are you closer? You could get me uh, Godwin and, and Evan's stats, yards per catch on those two guys? Yeah, yeah. Last year, Godwin was uh, – Godwin, I want to say, was 16. Godwin, 15-5. Evan, 17-3. Brashad Perriman, 18. Okay. So, I mean, they were they were – chucking it up huck chuck football yes and it that's was, not gonna it it's was. not gonna happen i mean look godwin has come out and defended Jameis winston said these interceptions are not all on the quarterback he's getting he got way too much blame for what happened here we were a, an explosive dynamic offense and i believe that they are and we'll you know we'll sit here and I, I love that we get more and more ways to come in here and and get Jameis going you obviously you know know him all the way back from his college days at florida yeah. state he's a talented guy i mean i think it's just wild to me what the NFL is doing in relation to those two players, Cam Newton and Jameis Winston. I think people are forgetting what Cam Newton was and what he's capable of being in the NFL. I mean, I, the two teams that I would I would do Jameis right now would sign him up right now would be New England. Um, of if I'm Belichick, I'm going to go. I'm going to give him McDaniel's, and I'm going to give him exactly what to do, and he's going to follow it. And Miami, three ones. You got forget Tua. Give me 26-year-old Jameis and three ones. Agreed. You and I, we agree on this. How about this? I saw one of my, my buddy Don sent me this, and it was a post from, let me pull it up. Give me one second here, about the New England Patriots and their quarterbacking situation right now. And my question for you is, do you know, as of right now, who is listed with the biggest, with the top odds to be 
the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots this season? I mean, the, the two that I would think of, if it's not Stidham and it feels like a trick question, so my guess is it's not, would be Brissett or Dalton. According to the current odds at the score, plus 350, Deshaun Watson is now the favorite to be the Patriots starting what? quarterback for the 2021 season. What? He wants out. Of, he's Listen, you know he wants out of Houston. He's had it. I don't care. Like, you tr get rid of Bill O'Brien. Like, you don't get rid of a quarterback. I would agree. I can find you. another just, coach. Just, I can find GMs. Don't shoot the messenger, brother. I'm just telling you. I think that's, that's an amazing. interesting thing that would be out there. That is. That, that, that would be certifiable to trade that kid. They for, just traded DeAndre anything. Hopkins for a bag of Doritos. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Bootsy, by the way, was having some Doritos today. Uh, I picked him up some some over the weekend, just a little comfort food for the fellas. Man, a Dorito's good. A Dorito's good. I haven't had one in a long time. I snared one out of his, sna what, his what, snack just, pack. What flavor? Win. Just the nacho cheese. Just okay, fantastic. Just traditional. 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 Yeah. Yeah, By the so way, uh, from Ian Rappaport, I don't believe that we've discussed this yet. Uh, the NFL owners have confirmed via a vote on today's teleconference that there will be expanded playoffs after the 2020 season. Source said expected and now official one more team per conference. So it yeah. will be seven teams per conference, one by per conference. Uh, Tom Pellicero reporting that the NFL wildcard weekend for this season will increase include three games Saturday, January the 9th, and another three games Sunday, January 10th. Same format, just with one bye in each conference. The other three division winners will each host a wild card game. So just one bye. That's the big takeaway there. You just one get the bye. one bye. Yeah. I think the league's going to have to be really careful with, with all of this from the standpoint of, um, yes, you want more football, but you want more good football. And if you're adding a 17th game, which is we're going to get to a 17th game, and now you're adding another team in the playoffs, so that means another good team doesn't get a bye. Um, and you just think, like, how patchwork these rosters are at the end of the year anyway. Yep. I mean, the best players, so many players are hurt. I, it's, I think you got to be very careful here. It's very dicey. You don't want I like football. just more competition, more teams with a chance to get into the playoffs. I think it makes the bye more important as well to come no in question. and do that first seed. I think it's going to make the games at the end of the season. You're going to have more teams playing for something at the end of the year, which I think will it'll just I think it's going to be better overall for for the game of football. I like it. Yeah. More teams matter, that's for sure. Um, speaking of mattering, our offensive line matters. It's going to be better than it was a year ago. How exactly do we do about it? Where do we sit as free agency is now uh, into its third week? We get into all of that coming up next with a positional breakdown on the offensive line. You'll listen to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland on a Tuesday edition of the program. Yes, this just, before we get to the uh, positional breakdown, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, this just happening in the last couple of minutes on the NFL front, officially expanding to 14 games next season in the playoffs. Um, and season, I'm seeing this yeah. from, from Tom Pelissaro as well, uh, that Tom Brady's going to wear number 12 with the Bucks. that God would offer the number to Brady and he will switch to number 14. So that is a done deal as well. But the one that affects us more importantly would be the move to 14 teams, my friend. That is, that is a big deal for a team like us that hopes that we're in the fight uh, for one of those spots. 
Absolutely. It's it, it adds another wild card. It is possible now to truly have something that wasn't possible in the past, an entire division make the playoffs, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fact. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's happening quick. There's, it's a lot that's, that's from a, uh, from a logistical, uh, standpoint. Um, so how, how this is going to work on work from a TV standpoint is CBS and NBC are going to broadcast the additional wildcard teams. Um, and I just was seeing this from a buddy, Omar Ruiz, the NFL Network, the TV and logistical details on the expansion, including how CBS will produce a broadcast on Nickelodeon for a younger audience. And Telemundo will broadcast a game in Spanish. Both of these new games will be streamed as well, not exclusively uh, on Nick. Do you think kids care? Like, do you think they care about the presentation? No, I don't. No, I do not. I just think I think no. that day is going to be spectacular with three awesome football games from start to finish of the day that are all playoff games Saturday and Sunday wildcard weekend. It's going to be great. Not all of those are awesome. We've had a lot of, uh, of Jacksonville Houston's. Well, I mean, I don't know about Jacksonville Houston. We've had a lot of Houston Cincinnati back in the day. That, that was type of popular. Stuff. That was a popular first round matchup, but now the worst team is going to be playing the best team that didn't make it. So you're going to have the number two seed is going to be active now on Wild Card Weekend, which I think is pretty cool. The the team that, you know, it's always the four seed that obviously usually raises some eyebrows because it's the worst division winner, and oftentimes a wild card team has a better record than that worst division winner. I, I, I love it. And more football, more meaningful football when it's all on the line, lose or go home. It's, it's not, there's nothing better than that in sports. That's why Game 7s in basketball are so awesome. Game 7s in baseball are so awesome. Win or go home, and I think adding two more of those games to the menu are great. Is a great thing, and as I said, it's going to make the end of the regular season so much more interesting. If two teams are clearly ahead of the pack, they can't just rest on their laurels week sixteen and seventeen. I hate that. I hate when people are resting people at the end of the season. So I think it's going to be. Uh, I like it. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. So I'm just looking at this right now in terms of what this would have meant last year if this were in place. And and what it would have meant is it would have meant Pittsburgh versus Kansas City in the AFC. Yeah. Been that, that wounded Pittsburgh team, which they were terrible. Yeah, but that defense um, could beat anybody. They almost they're not, they, not get, they're not beating Kansas City. Come on. Most likely not. Most likely. Not. Um and it would have meant the Ra- the Rams rather um against the Niners Who got the buys in the AFC in the NFC? Wasn't it Packers and Niners? The Niners were the one seed. Okay, so then it would have been the Packers would have played the Rams. So that would have been interesting. Packers Rams would have been interesting. Is that right? Yeah, cuz the, the Saints the played seed? wild card. Yeah, that's what it yeah. would have been. Yeah, so Packers and Rams in the NFC and Steelers would have been the the team. Yeah, in Packers the, Rams in the would have been a good game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that Steelers team was that. wounded, so they were the final ones in. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, they were the eight and eight. I mean, everybody else was seven and nine. I mean, they were the only eight and eight team in the AFC. Uh, Denver seven. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the would have been- All right. So in the AFC, you would have had Baltimore with the with the bye. You guys are right. It would have been Steelers, Chiefs, Patriots, Titans, yeah. Texans, Bills. And then yep. in the NFC, 49ers with the bye, Packers, Rams, Saints, Vikings, Eagles, Seahawks. Yeah. So those would have all remained the same. And then, as I said, that's the way that it would have gone. So, yeah, that, that Steelers – in the NFC, it's, it plays better than in the AFC last year. 
That yep. Pittsburgh team was pretty, pretty wounded at that point. They had lost three in a row towards the end of the year. Uh, they were hanging on by a thread um, at eight and eight. Now, if you could have gotten a situation, I'm trying to think. I just Denver wonder, was though, playing like, good at the end of the year. They were seven and nine. They were they'd won a couple. The Jets of games were seven and nine. Out. The Colts were seven and nine. The Broncos were seven and nine. The Raiders were seven and nine. And I wonder if if they knew that they had a chance to get in, uh, do they does you know does that week seventeen change? Well, it looks like all of those teams that you mentioned all won the last week to get to seven and nine. The Colts lost the last week to drop to seven and nine. So the Colts would have been kind of the team that, you know, would have been having a lot to play for that last and, weekend. And Everybody the, else, well, the Raiders lost the last week to go to seven and nine too. They lost to the Jags, but the Colts I thought were already eliminated based on tiebreakers with the Titans and the. It didn't matter, I don't think. But right, they were playing but at if the they Jags. Been, they could, if they could have played to win that game, they might have beaten the Jags in Jacksonville. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, interesting. All right, let's get to the offensive line breakdown, my friend. Um, the roster, we're doing this uh, every day this week, go through the entire roster. We're doing offensive line today. The roster as it sits today, newly signed Jack Conklin at right tackle. We know Wyatt Teller. We know J.C. Treader. We know Joe Batonio. We know Hub. Drew Forbes is there. Evan Brown, Kendall Lamb, Colby Gossett, Willie Wright, Malcolm Pridgen, the former Ohio State product. That is your offensive line at this moment. Um, and every single mock draft that has been done from December to now has at 10 us picking a tackle. So you can add that to the mix. Does anything else need to be added to the mix? And how much of an improvement is this over what we saw a year ago, Z? Uh, well, it's going to be, I think, a significant improvement over what we saw a year ago for a variety of reasons. Number one, you bring in Jack Conklin, who's a, a former first-team All-Pro right tackle, one of the best wide zone blockers, fits your scheme perfectly, will shore up that right side. Uh, at right guard between Teller and Forbes, guys who were here last year, you know, we started the season with Eric Cush. And I think that with Teller, you have a guy who can play this position for a long time. Good pass blocker, good athlete. If you remember the block that he made against the New England Patriots that sprung Nick Chubb on a big run. Now they ended up coming back and stripping it, but it was Teller who kind of barrel rolled through and karate rolled and then got up and blocked somebody. So I think his athleticism will suit this, be a better fit in this offense. I know Bill Callahan is high on both he and Drew Forbes. So I think they feel pretty good about their right guard spot. J.C. Treader, the center. Joel Batonio, your left guard. And then at number 10, we expect the Browns to take uh, their left tackle of the future. So what that means is behind them, you have got now Chris Hubbard, who was a jack-of-all-trades, played everything from center to guard to tackle in his time in Pittsburgh, and maybe goes back to that role that he's your sixth man, and no matter where the injury is, he'd be the first guy up. Uh, that's something that needs to be explored, I think, because between he and Kendall Lamb, you feel pretty good about your backup tackles at this point. Um, in tier, on the interior, you've got you know, Drew Forbes or Teller, whoever doesn't start, that you feel pretty good about. You mentioned Colby Gossett uh, out of Appalachian State and, and Malcolm Pridgen out of Ohio State. My big question is who's your backup center? If something happens to J.C. Treader, and I know uh, you've got Willie Wright, who was on your practice squad all year as a, a rookie undrafted free agent out of Tulsa, and then you brought in Evan Brown. That was one of the signings they made under the radar, didn't really play much. Uh, in his career, he spent the, you know, really the better part of the last two years on the practice squads with the Giants and with Miami. Um, but he's 6'2", 302 out of Southern Methodist. They must see something in him that maybe they think he can be the backup center listed as a center on the website. My question is, what's Chris Hubbard's role? His contract has been restructured. He is going to be here. Uh, and I think that he's a guy that if you're the Browns, you're looking at and you're saying, okay, is he our backup tackle? 
are we putting him back to what he did so well and what got him paid in Pittsburgh, which is make him, you know, the jack, as I said, jack of all trades, first guy in. Because if if you, I want to have some type of an idea of what I'm doing at backup center. That's for me, that's the concern that I see with this team right now. So I want to go back and see, you know, where does that come from? Where are we able to to figure that out? Because if it is Chris Hubbard, you go back to Chris Hubbard with Pittsburgh, started at right tackle all of 2017. In 16, he started multiple games for them and played multiple snaps for them. He started, he played some center, played a lot more right tackle. But is this a guy that you're looking at to be the next guy in? And if it's not, I, I really think we need to find a backup center. And I think that's why Evan Brown was brought in. That's why Willie Wright yeah. is still here. But are those guys somebody you feel comfortable with? Because we've been knock on wood. I'll knock on it all day. Very fortunate that J.C. Treader and Joel Batonio played every snap of the last two seasons right next to each other. Yeah, it's it's you have to be prepared for that, and 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 I think you th- that's really the only thing because once you w- once you sort out who that's going to be, and they probably have a pretty good idea who that's going to be, but once they decide who that's going to be, and then at that point you can say, you, you pencil in the left tackle who you drafted ten, um, and then the only other thing out there is is right guard, and I know why it it was impressive down the stretch. You got Drew Forbes, who was prospect X, uh, you know, in the draft a year ago. He's still there a little bit, bouncing around, so a little bit of chance to develop there. But I think you like what you got from Wyatt at the end, uh, and that solidified. And you like the fact that Wyatt's in between JC and Jack. Like, that's very solid. You put a left tackle next to Joel Batonio to, to bring him along as a rookie. You feel very good there. This has the potential to be an incredible reconstruction of the offensive line and it was obviously something that was done as a priority uh, but it's got great leadership on it it's got great talent on it more talent is going to be added to it on the left side at tackle Um, and and when you when this group rolls out there you're going to have something that could be pretty special on the offensive front yeah and I think that's that's what's exciting and it's we've heard so much oh we just need this offensive line to go because if you think about the skill position talent behind this offensive line if you have bookends with Conklin and a guy that's considered you know a 10-year starter an elite prospect at left tackle if those are your bookends for the foreseeable future you, you got a great guard center in Batonio and, and in Treader, and then they feel good as I said about Wyatt Teller Drew Forbes at right guard but when you have a line that can move that's athletic that's the thing JC and Joel both built for this style of an offense Conklin's built for it the tackle they draft is going to be built for it and I think Wyatt Teller's athletic and built for this kind of an offense yeah. this wide zone scheme same with Drew Forbes who's a very athletic guy that played tackle in college playing guard here uh, in the NFL with the Browns when you have that line that you can create that movement create those flows you're going to see Austin Hooper and Njoku running free you're going to see I mean we heard D. Orlando Ledbetter talk about it what's the staple of this offense people are just running free gashing teams in the run game and you've got Chubb and Hunt in the backfield OBJ and Jarvis on the outsides I mean this offense has an opportunity to be one of the top offenses in the NFL. It's in a system it that has be. been proven. It absolutely should be, and it'll be incumbent upon our quarterback, Baker Mayfield, to be the guy that we all believe he is. And if he is that guy, this offense is going to be explosive. It's going to be a lot of chunk plays. It's going to have play action with guys' beautiful passes from Baker to our guys running open. And we have an opportunity, to, like I said, and when I say elite, I mean we have an opportunity to be, I think, a top five offense in the NFL, certainly a top 10 offense in the NFL. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the expectation should be to be a top 10 offense in the NFL based on uh, the amount of assets, based on what was done in free agency. Clearly, this is a priority to upgrade this group and the overall talent there. Um, and last year, maybe in retrospect, and we didn't realize at the time, maybe too much was asked of Baker in year two to make him do things um, that, and, and not necessarily put him in the best position to succeed, make him basically uh, behave like a seven-year veteran. And now this is going to be pretty simplified. I mean, it's this offense is is – simple in that everything looks the same it's complicated to learn and that's the next thing i wanted to bring to you um with with the new faces on this line um now luckily we've got some of the smartest guys on this line in the league as well with shredder batonio in the middle but uh they're gonna have to be because this they've got to everything it all starts with them and everything they do has to look the same um and you can only do that in walkthroughs in drills in practice in reps it's really the only way you can do it so we are behind the eight ball a little bit there z we are, and what you have to hope is that this, that the NFL realizes, look, guys should have been here next week, especially for a team like the Browns, that they're going to allow them to get into the playbook, playbook and do kind of zooms with their coaches where they can go through the steps and try to get it right. Because, yes, the good news is, though, you know, Joel's versed in this. You've got Jack Conklin's been in this kind of an offense before in the past, and so you've got two guys there who have done it and been around at Austin Hooper as well. Uh, we know that the running backs are both excellent in the wide zone. So it, it's going to be tough, though. This is, I think, teams that are putting in new systems. I think for these rookie quarterbacks, I think that's something oh. that's being overlooked this year. I think it is going to be very difficult for a Joe Burrow or a Justin Herbert or a Tua week one to come out and be as ready as they would be in normal seasons. I, they're going to have a truncated offseason to come in, learn a playbook, learn the NFL game, learn the NFL speed with limited opportunities to do so. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if you're the Browns, you want to see the Bengals early on your schedule. Because, A, they have a ton of new pieces on that on that team, especially on defense, and they're going to have a, a new quarterback new to the league. I mean, I think if, if you could say right now, what's my dream opening given our schedule and our opponents? Give me the Bengals at home week one. Give me yeah. the Bengals at home week one. It's going to be early for Burrow. I think it's going to be early for these rookie quarterbacks. And I think, look, it's early for us too, but I think we have a system and we're going to have a coaching staff that's going to get our guys up to speed. We have guys who are going to be working on it. Look, one thing that you know is available, I know the players don't have their iPads right now. They're not going to be able to get any of that until the, the season actually begins and they're able to report what the NFL does. But look, they've made Game Pass available to everybody. NFL.com's made it free. So anybody with a computer or an iPad or a cell phone can go log on to Game Pass and be watching tape. And, and I hope that all of the guys on the Browns offense who don't have access, you know, don't you can't have your, your team issued to watch those breakdown and cutups, but there's no reason why you can't be watching the tape and, and know every play, every formation, everything from your position that was run by Minnesota last year. And maybe I'm just well, wired differently, NF- but that's what that's I would be doing. That's course. what I would be doing. I, I just... I just wonder, like, shouldn't the, maybe the NFL ought to just forget that, you know, and just let them have access to that now? I think they, they need to know. once the date came that they would have had access pr- previously. They're not going to be able to be there in person. Let's give them access and say, okay, now you guys can get your iPads, get into that film. But they can be getting into that film now. I mean, I've watched point. myself because I've just been, you know, we've got some time. I watched four games of Minnesota last year already. 
just to kind of watch yeah. that offense and to see the things that I would expect to see. And it looks a lot like what I remember our offense looking like in 2014. It looks a lot like what the 49 for people who watch the 49ers, but you don't have George Kittle, but a lot of those same actions, those same motions, the reverses, the wide zone, the big chunk plays with Dalvin Cook, and then the play action off of it to the tight ends on crossers or the deep overs with Diggs and Thielen. I mean, it's a, a lot of it, it's, it's there. But I think players, it's going to be incumbent upon them this year to do that extra mile because I know that they like to have their offseason. Look, your body's going to be as fresh as ever, as fresh as it's ever been. We heard oh. big play Gary Barnard say, that was my best season. My body was fresh. But there's no reason why you couldn't go into your first meeting in this building after watching everything from NFL Game Pass on the Minnesota Vikings a year ago, watching your own tape and being saying, okay, here's where I'm going to fit into this offense. Here are the calls. Here are the looks we like to do. Here are the formations. Here are my responsibilities based on these plays from these formations, et cetera. And, and I think you should be able to hit the ground running. And I think guys and teams that have a core group of people that are true professionals will have a leg up from that standpoint. So a couple of things on that. The um, as you've gone because you know obviously you watched Minnesota games when they had big games you watched the playoff games those things but now that you've gone back and watched the four games that you have during this break, what jumps out to you that as you're watching that you thought oh, we'll do this well? So it's it's obviously it's it's when we talk about Kevin Stefanski talks about marrying the run and the pass right so everything looking the same. What I think yeah. we are going to do very well with Baker Mayfield is gash you, gash you, gash you with run plays and then give you that exact same look, that exact same look, and then we're going to go ahead and now use play action off of that and the bootlegs for Baker. So the reversal of the field, wide zone to the left, play action, you rip it back to the right, you have a crosser a low in front of you, and then you have the deep over, where I think Odell on deep overs is going to be tremendous in this offense. The tight end's moving down the field as well. So I think you have a real opportunity here to take advantage of the mobility of your quarterback, to take advantage of the fact that he is you know, accurate, accurate on the move, you're able to move the pocket. You're able to move the defense and get them running sideways as opposed to north and south and take advantage of that with misdirection. And you're going to get the ball to your playmakers in space where they can do things. So I think you're going to yeah. see a lot more yak from Jarvis and Odell and David and Austin in this offense. Do you think, um, do you think we need a burner? So you would, you would – I think – Honestly, I think we've got one here. And the more and more that I thought about it and the more that I thought back to Kyle's offense and where he used that speed guy, and it was Taylor Gabriel in his rookie year. I think Taewon Taylor is that guy. Taewon Taylor is a speed guy. Taewon Taylor can take the top off of a defense. Odell can play that role. You have to remember, too, though, you're going to be playing with two receivers the majority of the time. Yeah. So Odell and Jarvis will be out there. Do I think we need another pure speed guy? I think Taewon Taylor, if he can you know, show the stuff that made him a third-round pick of the Tennessee Titans here, he has the opportunity, I think, to be that. When you go to those three receiver sets and you really want to stretch the field, he can be that guy for you. Yeah, and yet, I mean, you can stretch the field in a lot of different ways. As the Patriots proved when they were, you know, had the two big tight ends and, and Gronk and, and well, Hernandez, a... and you can do it a lot of different ways, and you can do it with – uh, with hoop and and Njoku. Njoku is, when I heard when I think about burner I think of I think David down the seam uh, would be a perfect mismatch. David would be a big mismatch and the other thing that this offense is going to do really really well is get our running backs involved in the passing game and the screen game. Something I don't think we did yeah. 
terribly well last year, you're going to get them in the screen game and get them in space where they're able to make plays. And I think that is going to be valuable for this team. You look at what Dalvin Cook was able to do, and then you think about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in this same system. I think that's going to be very, very important for us. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Kevin does in terms of with with Chubb and Hunt together on the field at the same time. Um, like how much, how creative he can get with that. Um, because they're, they're two of our five best offensive players, both of them. And, and I, I'm interested to see how he does it. I, I don't remember a minute. Like very few teams have the luxury of having two of the top ten running backs in the league. So, when, when in, like I said, in the games that I watched, rarely were Cook and Madison on the field together. But I could see, given how good both Chubb and Hunt are as lead blockers, sometimes when you would see C.J. Ham in these formations where he would be split out and then he motions in to either be a lead blocker or sometimes you play action to his side and he would slip out the backside. Now you okay. think about the mismatch you're going to get with Kareem Hunt if you're having him slide across the formation while everybody's worried about Nick Chubb running to the front side. I think that's where you're going to be able to see these guys. They're going to have to block a little bit, but if they do, they're going to be able to use that and, and the threat of that crackback and then be able to slide across formation, be in space, run wheel routes, and get real isolated on linebackers. And that's where I think we'll be able to take advantage of it. Well, we know Kareem's a willing blocker. You know Nick's a of course. willing blocker. They both did it last year for each other. I mean, that was some of the cool things. We see Kareem Hunt line up at fullback and block for Nick Chubb. So, I mean, I, they're, they're both willing in that. Go ahead. And last year, what we saw, though, was I felt like a lot of the time we had them in the field together, they were both split around the quarterback in yeah. that shotgun, and then one would be the lead blocker, and he'd run power that way. See, in this offense, I don't think we're going to see – you won't see that as often. Now, maybe it's something they want to incorporate because it's something that the Browns were able to do well, so Kevin Stefanski will move that into his offense. But what I see is more you're going to see Kareem split out as a receiver and then motion into the line or start off as like a, a, on a wing. And then you're going to be able to use him kind of as a hybrid blocker receiver out of that formation and get mismatches because that's how they create this space. You're going to see more motion pre-snap in terms of somebody who is outside the formation coming into the formation. And a lot of times what they do off of that is they'll use him on that lead side or he comes, fakes the block, and slides out the backside. They do that. They did that so many times. And you think okay. about the way that the Niners did that with check. Yep. That's how they would use use check last year. So you could see Kareem Hunt, even though he's not a true fullback, and we, we do have one here. Janovich is going to do a lot of that stuff for you. But if you want to use the two of them together at the same time, sure. that's how you would do it. And the other thing is, look, you're going to be able to keep these guys totally fresh. Totally fresh. Yes. The 49ers, I think, showed more than anybody last year. Some, it was Brita one game. It was Mostert one game. It was Tevin Coleman another game. They started to ride Mostert down the stretch, but even in the playoffs, there was one game that wasn't a Mostert game. It was, I think, Tevin Coleman had a monster game. So you're going to have the ability, and this offense feeds the ball to the running backs. They're going to get plenty of touches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic breakdown by you right there, my friend. Um, coming up here at the bottom of the hour, Teresa Walker, AP writer, covers the Titans. We'll ask her about Conklin, what we're getting there, some of the changing landscape in the AFC South as well. That's coming up next. You're listening to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. <laughs> You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
Hey folks, I want to talk a little bit about Northeast Factory Direct and the highest quality of name band furniture that they carry. I know a little bit about this. My wife's family in the furniture business nearly a century here in Cleveland, and uh, they got names that we carried as well, and they are some of the best. We're talking about Fluxdale and England and Foster and more. Plus, they have Amish furniture. It's made right here in Ohio. Guys, you don't get higher quality than that, and it costs so much less. Northeast Factory Direct also carrying high-quality hot tubs and pool tables and game room sets. My man Alex is so confident in the process. He's offering a one-year best price guarantee. That's right. I've been saying Northeast prices can't be beat, and now it is guaranteed. If you buy furniture or hot tubs from Northeast within one year, you find it advertised for less. Alex is going to refund the difference. See the store for details on this or go to northeastfactorydirect.com. You know the locations west 140th street in cleveland lakeland boulevard and euclid or freeway drive in macedonia when you get back to normal but for right now you can do an even better thing and that's just shop online at northeastfactorydirect.com let's head out on the hotline now Teresa walker friend of the program ap writer covering the nfl and the titans uh, at large and all things nashville sports and joining us and let's start with uh, with our buddy jack conklin who used to be your buddy jack conklin I guess, I guess i shouldn't presume i don't know if you liked him or not but we're glad that we have him what type of player are we getting what type of person are we getting well, he is a nice guy, uh, Zach and Nathan, and I mean, he is a—you know—he's—he's he's a happy kind of go lucky. I mean, you've got some characters in every locker room, and in the Titans locker room, Taylor Lewan is the very loud uh, personality, the left tackle who kind of dominates that corner of the locker room. You know, Jack Conklin is a little quieter maybe than Taylor, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe if he gets into a locker room where. You know, he can have a chance maybe to blossom, shall we speak. But nice guy. Uh, he can be quiet, but, you know, he's more than happy to talk to you. And, you know, you know how it is in our business. If, if they're willing to stop and talk and be a good talker, that's all we require pretty much. Uh, not quite the standard that coaches have. But on the field, you know, he's a guy who, when he's healthy, has absolutely been, you know, steady, dependable, all pro as a rookie. And, you know, he had some knee injuries there in the middle. But this last season, he definitely got back to the form that he showed as a rookie. And, you know, let's face it, that's why he has now got that nice contract. Absolutely. And, Teresa, great to be talking to you about Jack. How would you kind of describe his play style? Is he a more athletic tackle? Is he a mauler? Is he physical? What, what are kind of the, the hallmarks of the Jack Conklin experience at right tackle? Well, he's definitely physical and, and, and can maul you a bit. And, and, you know, more of a road grader is, you know, when I've been watching him closely. Uh, but, you know, guys, here's the thing, and, and I'm curious to see where he ends up playing there. You know, he, he, when the Titans drafted him, they already had Taylor on at the left side. And so he's been at the right tackle position in the NFL. But he's a guy, the reason they drafted him, you know, eighth overall back in the day uh, out of Michigan State was he, he had played – uh, left tackle. He played 35 of his 38 starts in college at, at left tackle. So, you know, he's been produ- he's been only right tackle in the NFL. But I'm very curious to see how much they think of him there as to whether or not he gets a chance to play on the other side of the line. Teresa, last year, obviously, kind of a, a magical season for those Titans that you covered all the way to the AFC Championship game. Uh, and, and, you know, they did it, obviously, with a strong running game, Derrick Henry. But how about Ryan Tannehill coming on and turning into one of, I thought, the great stories of the NFL last year and now getting that big contract to be the, the Titans quarterback of the present and future? It was rather impressive because I'll be honest, you know, when they made the trade for him last March, I was busy with the SEC tournament and it's like, it felt like, you know, one that they got a great deal. Uh, and then because, you know, guys, here's the thing, as good as that season was, 
the Miami Dolphins played, paid $5 million of his salary this year. So talk about getting a quarterback on the cheap. The Titans did. And then he comes in quiet. I mean, you know, this was Marcus Mariota's team until it wasn't. And Tannehill completely embraced that. You know, he didn't uh, do anything to, you know, except to support Marcus Mariota. And then when he, you know, Mariota was benched in mid-October, Tannehill stepped up. And, you know, if you've seen him in a couple of, uh, you know, stints coming off the bench, wasn't impressed. But, you know, something started to flip the instant he took over as starter. And to see the difference in the offense, I mean, this was a team that, you know, the offense had not scored a touchdown in 10 quarters. And then in the final 10 games, you know, they averaged 30.4 points a game, uh, you know, uh, right there at the top of the NFL. And, you know, they, you know, he led the league in passing, passer rating, passing yards per attempt. You know, I know that people have deemed him as being a game manager. Well, again, he led the NFL in yards per pass attempt. You're not doing that if you're just sneaking and dunking. So uh, it, it's going to be it, now the challenge is can he follow that up? And, and uh, that's what I'm very curious to see. But, you know, the Titans, with all that's going on, they may have a huge advantage because he and Derrick Henry coming back mean that the Titans have 10 of their 11 starters back from last season. And even though Jack Conklin is now there in Cleveland, guess what? Uh, Dennis Kelly is a guy who played on the other side of the line for uh, Taylor Lewan. And, you know, whenever Jack Conklin got hurt the year before, 2018, Dennis Kelly's the guy who slid in there. So, you know, this is, a, this is an offense with Tannehill that should be able to pick up, and we'll see if they can actually build on what they did last season. Teresa, was there you, – you, Teresa Walker, our guest, AP, covering the Titans and all things uh, Nashville. Was there ever any – did you ever put any credence, any serious uh, belief into the Brady stuff with Vrabel and with the Titans? No, but, you know, the, honestly, though, the closer you get to free agency and until they had a deal with Tannehill, uh, you have to at least keep an eye on it because, let's face it, you know, the GM got his start in the NFL. Uh, John Robinson started with the Patriots. Mike Rabel won three rings with Tom Brady, and they're still friends. Guys, they were together at the Kentucky Derby a year ago. Uh, you know, if anyone saw the picture, you know, the Patriots Titans had joint workouts last August and Brady gigged, uh, Brable gave him a little trophy for the regular season win that the Titans had over the Patriots the year before. Um, and, and Vrabel at the combine was asked about his friendship with Brady and, and he goes, well, Tom, and he kind of made a comment that Tom Brady owes him a, you know, uh, a bigger trophy and that he still remains undefeated against Brady in the games that matter. So uh, because of that big playoff win on the road in the wild card. So, you know, with, with those kind of things, you, you have to – guys, I've seen Randy Moss in a Titans uniform. You know, Alan <laughs> Iverson was a briefly a Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA. So uh, at this point, I've seen enough that I don't discount anything. But let's face it, I also had been told that there was, you know, weeks ago, back in, you know, during the playoffs, that there was no way the Titans were going to let Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry get away from them. And now we see that, you know, they managed to take care of both of them to keep him around, at least Henry tagged for this year. When you look at some of the moves the Titans made this offseason, what do you kind of make of what they've done and see as they're kind of their biggest need headed into the draft? Well, right now, it, you know, they did the things they had to, you know, signing Tannehill, tagging Henry. Uh, I think they're, you know, they trade. The one surprise was trading away their five-time pro bowler and captain, Jarrell Casey, to the Denver Broncos yeah. for just a seventh rounder. Now, that cleared up a bunch of space. Uh, you know, saw that right now they're kind of like fourth, I think, or fifth in the NFL for available cap space. So, you know, it feels like you know, there's reports they put in an offer for Jadavian Clowney. 
uh, looks like maybe they're trying to get that price tag down. So maybe uh, Clowney is a guy that they you know try to bring in to reteam him with Mike Vrabel, who coached him as linebackers coach and coordinator with the Houston Texans, and, and that might be the piece they bring in if they get that done. Uh, then, you know, cornerback's going to be an area they have to replace because they have yet to sign anyone to replace Logan Ryan, a guy who started every game he played for in the last three years, a uh, very key defensive player for them. Uh, and then, you know, wide receiver because wouldn't you want, you know, Tajay Sharp has now been signed by the Minnesota Vikings, and as good as A.J. Brown and Corey, you know, especially A.J. Brown, you know, they're going to have to replace that. So uh, at the moment I would place it if they don't sign a clowny, uh, it's going to be uh, more pass rush defensive line, cornerback, and wide receiver. Talking with Teresa Walker, who covers the Tennessee Titans. Teresa, I want to ask you about a guy that was third round pick of the Titans back in 2017. Had some, I, I thought, you know, not necessarily star seasons, but certainly played a nice role for the Titans in 17 and 18. Was traded to the Browns right before the season and then never really got on the field for the Browns last year. It's Taewon Taylor. Is he a guy that could maybe contribute as a speed receiver for this Browns team with a new regime and a new set of eyes on him? And I think about, you know, kind of this Kyle Shanahan, Kubiak system that Kevin Stefanski will bring to the Browns and a thought of the success Taylor Gabriel's had in that offense. Is, is Taewon Taylor a guy that you think still has some juice left and maybe an opportunity to be that speed receiver for the Browns? Oh, absolutely. Now, the problem with, with Taewon is he's a great guy. Lots and lots of speed. I also watched him in college as well, playing at Western Kentucky. And, you know, you, you see these flashes, but the, the, the challenge for him is going to be consistency and route running. You know, for every great catch that he'll make, there'll be some of the routine ones that he just doesn't make. And that's what ended up costing him not just playing time, but obviously a roster spot with the Titans. And, you know, last year, we, you know, I kept checking to make sure he was actually on the Browns roster still. Uh, and kept seeing him being a, you know, a healthy scratch week after week after week. And, you know, now going to a new team is never easy. And, with, you know, with where we're at, we may not have uh, an off-season program for these guys. You know, he may have to go into a training camp, shorten training camp, you know, depending on what happens, and have a very short time to impress people. So, uh, you know, the challenge will be, you know, what are these coaches asking him to do? How are they communicating playbooks? And, you know, what do they ask him to do? If they're wanting him to be a specific route runner, that could be a challenge for him. Uh, but hopefully, you know, Taewon is working on his hands and as such as he can. And, you know, maybe he's one of those guys that has his own jugs machine. I know some of the Titans had actually bought their own and, and were working when they could uh, on their own on their hands in the offseason. I don't know. I can't remember if Taewon was one of those guys. But, guys, his, you know, he, that's his challenge, consistency. Be where they need you to be and make those make all the catches. You know, you, you can't catch every ball, but the, you know, guys, we know there's some catches that you should absolutely be making if you're an NFL receiver. Trace, I'll get you out of here on this one. Before uh, we got hit with COVID nineteen and coronavirus quarantine central, uh, the wife and I were headed down uh, to your neck of the woods to Nashville for a little weekend. Um, uh, just the two of us get away from the kids. Uh, if if I had to go down there and I have to eat at one place. Where do I eat? Where do I get the reservations when we get back to normal? What what do I where do I eat and what do I order? Ooh, see now, I'm, probably the top recommendation is going to be Husk, uh, yep. and, and the problem there is the menu changes regularly. The place I tend to go to all the time is the Southern. It's on Third Demondrian, and I just love the atmosphere in there. And I haven't had a bad item on there, uh, but you know you could go for the nudie suit, which is kind of like you know you go pick your steak. And, uh, you know, but the, 
if you're there for a brunch, you know, the, the, the hot chicken and waffles is, uh, is also my go-to. Okay, this is the information I needed. Thank you so much. Always great talking to you, Teresa. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, good stuff there. Um, final segment up next, Uncle Z. Already another show in the books, my friend. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Uh, welcome back into the final segment, CBD, on a Tuesday edition of the program. So, Z, where do you go now? You're done with uh, with Tiger Guy. Uh, mercifully, that is over with. So, what do you do now for your entertainment? Uh, where yeah. are you going to quench it? I think we're gonna we're gonna start uh, Ozark season three tonight, which I am very, very oh. excited about. Yeah, yeah you deserve be to be. a little yeah. a little Ozark season three. Uh, we have our you know our reality junket that we watch i really love top chef on bravo that's one of my i think that's a great show i love food i love cooking and so you get to watch masters at their craft cook and think about what you think looks good or what doesn't and and i i love that show i think you would like that show top chef's a great show and they just brought back top chef you're only you'd only be two episodes behind top chef la all-stars so it's people who have been on other seasons that are were you know finished well all competing it's great it's an awesome show it's an awesome show. okay did, well this week's one Who's the chef? Who's the boss? Uh, the host, uh, Padma Lakshmi. Okay. In, sure. And Tom Caligliero, or okay, some, I, I probably butchered his last name, but he—they're great. So there are three. They're good. And another woman. They're always the judges, and they always bring in the guest judge uh, to go through the food. And they did one this past week, which I thought was really, really cool. So they were in LA. Um, I want to say his name huh, was his name Jeffrey Gold. I think the guy's name was Jeffrey Gold, who was the food critic for the L.A. Times. And he okay. passed away in 2018. And he would publish every year uh, the 100, his 101 favorite restaurants in L.A. And so the challenge to these people was they got broken up into teams, four different teams, and they had to go to three of the restaurants on the list. And a lot of this guy wasn't just – it wasn't just your high-end restaurants. If he found a hole in the wall that made the best al pastor yeah. taco or the place that made the best dumpling or sure. an Ethiopian place, this, that. And so they, were, wanted, they had him go to these little places and be inspired. But what I found so powerful about it is they would go into these very small hole-in-the-wall restaurants – and the, the chefs would go in, they would eat the stuff, the people would be so proud, they'd be like, well, this is the one that you know, he talked about in his review that he loved so much, and they all loved the food, but multiple of the restaurateurs said that basically this guy coming into their hole-in-the-wall, off-the-beaten-path ethnic restaurant and praising it and giving it that review like literally changed their lives. It oh. you know, increased their business tenfold. They I believe it. Like basically this guy made us – successful at doing what we love and i thought that was such a cool thing and a cool concept and then all these restaurateurs came back and judged the people had to make something for 200 people john favreau was there who all were friends of this this jonathan gold or gould who was the, the food critic who had passed away and they put on this whole thing it was actually it was, it was pretty cool and it's we're getting to the point now miss k and i were we're pretty good going through watching we we have an idea of who had the best dishes and who had the worst just like Watching them make it, seeing what their concept was, seeing if they executed, and then just yeah. re- read in the room on the uh, the reactions. But it's a Dad, great, do you guys yeah. ever you ever you ever run it back? You try to put one of them together, try to make one of their recipes. Yeah, yeah. 
we've made i've made a couple things that i were was inspired by on there and then did my own variations of it because they often get you know they have like they get some crazy ingredients for their for their challenges yeah. and stuff um but yeah we've tried to run some of the things back from there it's awesome it's it's a great i love show. doing that i love it yeah it's a it's yeah, a good one i would recommend that, adding that to your repertoire okay I'll, I'll put that one in there i i, I do that I'll, I'll find a uh i'll go read watch like a gordon ramsay uh -huh, some uh -huh. meal something that he makes or, or like i did on sunday uh actually i did a thomas keller uh roasted chicken that i did from the guy who runs the french oh, laundry wow. and I, I followed his recipe on that it was spectacular and very simple it wasn't hard at all it was, that was your simple. birthday roast chicken yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, it was great. It was it was great, and it was really simple. It was just the devil was in the details, but the details, they weren't complicated. Like, it was simple, right. and it was spectacular. And um, go ahead. They spelled it out for you. One thing that I have to recommend to everybody out there, because I, I have – I'm obsessed with it, and I just made um, some pork tenderloins. I sous vide pork tenderloins in this sauce. Then when they came out, dried them, and then rebasted them in this sauce, and then grilled them. And they were amongst the best ever. And it's the, the name of the sauce is Hacks. It looks like it comes in a flask bottle. It's a barbecue sauce, Hacks. And he has a habanero pineapple barbecue oh, sauce. Oh, gosh. That is. <laughs> it's right up your alley. Oh, my God. It is. It's like it was descended from above for me. But you put that on a, pork, a sous vide pork tenderloin, and then you grill that bad boy. Hoo-wee. You're going to be in heaven. Let me tell you. Oh, I'm looking at the bottle right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. I like that. I like it, that a great deal. Yeah, this it's a nice-looking nice bottle. Uh, it's a classy bottle. It is a nice-looking bottle. I like the look at that bottle. Um, this was from uh, Stephen Gill, who who's agrees on the on the Southern. The steak and oyster is a great meal. Everything is fantastic. I like the idea of that. Um, that is exciting. A couple little NFL things here in, in the last couple of minutes. This is from Tom Pelissaro, Dan Graziano. Well, basically all the NFL guys are writing that. NFL General Counsel Jeff Pash. We're planning on having a full season. Um, it's our planning, our expectations, fully directed at playing a full season, starting on schedule, having a full regular season and a full set of playoffs. I am certain I am – I am not certain I'll be here tomorrow, but I am planning on it. Uh, they go on to say Brian Rollup of the NFL says they're looking for releasing a schedule on May 9th. Um, so so schedule dates will be released May 9th from the NFL on that point. Uh, Troy Vincent from the PA perspective says Zoom is an option for virtual workouts to help replace off-season programs. Uh, Vincent says his own son, uh, Teron Vincent, who plays for Ohio State, is using Zoom now with his coaches in lieu of normal work that they do. Uh, so the NFL having um, a little press conference here, a little uh, – well, not a press conference, but obviously an audio conference where they're able to kind of get – where we are with with everything but it does look like they're planning to release the 2020 schedule on may 9th which is interesting because typically the schedule has been released right before the draft i want to say or right right am i right about yeah. you yes i, I thought it. so so that would be that's a very late schedule release and and i think the expectation was that the schedule was going to be released prior to the draft so this is a little bit of a change here from the nfl from what maybe we thought was going to be the plan and you wonder if it's them buying time or maybe them saying hey that's what i think let's yeah it, it, let's see what happens in the draft and see where we can make some better matchups uh based on you know things that happen in the draft i don't know i think it's i think it's got to be they that say it's not related related i think it, it, it seems to me they're probably just trying to bide as much time as they can I think that would be smart in general to wait until you see what happens in the draft because there's going to be teams that early in the year you want to see like Burrow and Cincinnati's that people are going to want to see that early. Yeah. Uh, so you you can 
you know, you could move that schedule around a little bit based on that. Um, I also think it would be naive to think that this would be anything other than Corona related by pushing it back, that that has to relate to it because you're just buying time for more information. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. uh, Jeff Pashas is one other thing, and, and knowing that the Browns are potentially a team that's eligible to be going to London, it says the uh, international games will be part of the schedule. Optimistic conditions will permit season to go forward here and abroad. Well, I hope they know something that we don't know. Let me tell you that. Yeah, yeah, be it, yeah, be good. All right, that's a let's a little return to normalcy at the end of the show. We're back tomorrow with more fun. The next level is next. Thanks for listening. It's CBD eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.